Plugged In podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. On today's episode, the very first episode of Plugged In, I sit down and speak with Ursilia Serafini, the president and CEO of Summerhill, at our office in Toronto. I have been an employee of Summerhills for over 12 years. It's where I cut my teeth on project management. It is where I learned about the energy efficiency industry. And it's really because of my career at Summerhill, the opportunity I've had to meet and work with so many amazing women over the years, that has been the inspiration for this podcast. But before I dive in, I wanted to take a few minutes to tell you about myself. So you know who's leading you on this podcast journey. So my name is Megan Bennett. I live in Thornbury, Ontario with my husband, Jim, and our two girls. We moved here from Toronto a couple years ago and love being close to lots of family and having amazing hiking, skiing, and biking trails in our backyard. Super lucky. I work from home and commute to our Toronto Summerhill offices once a week. And during those commutes, I love listening to all kinds of podcasts. My path to Summerhill, like many career paths, wasn't necessarily a straight line. I studied international development at university. I worked at the Canadian International Development Agency when I was doing my master's. And I really thought actually that I was gonna work in international affairs and climate issues on the global stage. But after grad school, I spent a year volunteering in Belize in Central America for a small community-based indigenous organization that was managing a national park. And the week that we arrived in Belize, the government gave rights to a U.S.-based oil company to begin exploring for oil in the national park. I got involved in an advocacy campaign, and we took a legal challenge to the Supreme Court for this decision, and we won. It was, it was an exciting time. And it was also a turning point for me because I saw the impact of oil exploration and extraction, and I was starting to understand that maybe what countries like Belize needed was for countries like Canada to actually need less oil in the first place, to tread more lightly, to use less energy, to work on reducing our own carbon footprint. So when I came back to Canada, I started to look for work that would have a positive environmental impact locally in my own backyard. I didn't even know there was such thing as an energy efficiency sector, but luckily I found Summerhill. Currently, I am a regional director at Summerhill, which means I work closely with an awesome team of program managers in Toronto who are delivering energy efficiency programs for our clients in Ontario. I started 12 years ago as a project coordinator and since then have managed many campaigns and programs across the country. Some examples to give you a little flavor include um, Mow Down Pollution, which was a national campaign at Home Depot's to collect and recycle inefficient gas lawnmowers in exchange for discounts on battery-powered and electric mowers. More recently, 
managed and oversaw the launch of the Green On Rebates Program in Ontario, which was a program that provided rebates to homeowners who were doing energy-efficient upgrades to their windows or insulation or putting in ground source or air source heat pumps. More recently, I've been involved in rolling out programs designed to help Ontarians who are struggling to afford to pay their utility bills, so programs that are focused on low-income and moderate-income customers. I really enjoy working at Summerhill because I love that we make a difference, home by home, business by business, and that enough of those changes at a large scale can actually shift the way we use energy and the types of energy resources we need. The other great thing about Summerhill are the amazing people and the strong alumni network we have. I have been so fortunate to meet many amazing people over the years, a lot of them women, and many who are doing such important work and have stories and perspectives that I'm feeling really pulled to share and explore more deeply. So this is why I'm here, to share these stories, to introduce you to leaders in the sector, to have some honest and truth-seeking discussions about the hard stuff and the fun stuff, and to shed some light on the important work being done. So let's get started. On today's episode, I speak with Ursilia Serafini, the president and CEO of Summerhill. In this conversation, we talk about some of the freshest and newest concepts in the industry, including market-based solutions to energy efficiency which essentially means instead of delivering programs and incentives to the market like we have been for over 25 years, a market-based system would transform the industry and, and would mean that customers would get paid for energy that they are saving directly. Energy efficiency itself would become a resource valued in the market. We also talk about distributed energy resources, which is another big, would be another big shift, moving away from thinking about and relying on one large power plant to a system where everyone has the opportunity to generate, store, and distribute their own power, kind of more disaggregated and distributed. Um, This could look like renewables on your homes or batteries in your garages. So we talk about those kind of new cutting edge topics in the space. Um, And then to be honest, my favorite part of the conversation is when we start to talk about Ursula's personal journey and what really drives her and her role as CEO, her views on women, gender, and leadership, her perspective and very practical strategies for being a CEO and a mom and actually having a life as well. Finally, we talk about courage and speaking our truth, being inspired by Michelle Obama and sharing our values with our children. We had a really fun time and I hope you enjoy it and it serves you. Let's dive in. Arcelia, thank you. Oh my God, Megan, I'm really excited to be here. This is my first time doing anything like this. It's so strange. It's so fun. I'm so, yeah. it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. And I really appreciate you. Oh, I'm excited. Being part of this. So, Arcelia, you've been the president and CEO of Summerhill for 10 years. Oh my God. 2009, right? It's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> A lot has changed in 10 years yeah. at Summerhill in the market, in the company, and the political landscape. I would love if you could kind of take us through sure. how, where Summerhill's come over the past 10 years, where we're at today, where you see us going. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a big question, Megan, and I feel like we could be here for a while, so I'm going to try to keep it short. <laughs> The evolution of our of our company has, you know, it's taken such an interesting path. Uh, you know, it's starting with starting with the commitment to focus on energy efficiency, 
generally and really making that decision as an organization to say, we're going to play squarely in this space where we're going to help people and businesses figure out how they can save energy. Um, our focus obviously has been anchored from a customer perspective in the residential and small commercial space, which has been really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, it's been so engaging, like it's been so meaningful and impactful, I would say, to be able to talk to individuals and to be able to feel like you're making a difference um, in, you know, saving money off, off their bills, in quality of life in some cases. It's been, it's been meaningful, but it's been really challenging. It's a, it's a tough segment to work in. Uh, it changes changes all like the customer profile and demographic is changing constantly. And you know, from a business perspective, we're working in really low margin um, business. So from an from an operator's perspective, it's been enormously challenging. I think where we want to go from here and where the where where I'm seeing the evolution happen for us and talking strictly as you know Summerhill in this space, um, is we're looking more at commercial industrial. We're, you know, these are higher, potentially higher impact opportunities in terms of actual savings, but they're also bigger projects. Uh, they happen over a much longer period of time. I feel like the early days of Summerhill, we're, we're tackling a lot of low-hanging fruit, and now we're building this incredible technical expertise that's going to allow us to go into commercial and industrial facilities and help them make real decisions about motors and systems and, you know, big, big projects that, uh, that, are, that are super unique. And maybe from, uh, from the perspective, you know, I said imp impactful, yes, it will have 100% greater savings impact, but it'll be interesting to see how we grow as a company because we're so used to touching tens of thousands of individuals to look at maybe doing 10 businesses and, and to see what that will do. So it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, the, the shape that our organization has taken very much gone from a, you know, resi small commercial to now moving into a commercial industrial space would be a, an easy way to describe the, the change. What, what are you most proud of when you look back on the past 10 years? Oh, the company. that's what? super easy. That's people. I mean, the people that I've worked with over the last 20 years are incredible. Um, and the, the one thing I think that Summerhill is even most known for in our space, we have Summerhill alumni that work in almost every type of business in our space. And so, you know, being able to have worked with and have worked alongside such incredible humans is absolutely the thing I think about most in doing this job day to day. It's, it's the people. Yeah. Challenges. What have, what have, uh, what's kept you up at night? What have been some of the biggest challenges with this change in the market that you've, that you've gone through? Well, let's talk about the change in the market because I, I think that, you know, we're on the cusp of something pretty cool, and that is more customer choice um, 
than ever before. So more literally power in the hands of the customer than we've ever seen before. And that I think is going to even dramatically shift where our business goes in the future and where the market goes in terms of uh, allowing customers to make the decision about what technologies they own and how they use it and, you know, how we engage with them. So to me, that's, that's super challenging to think about where, where we can go. Um, What, keeps me up at night. I mean, it honestly, it, it comes back to the people aspect. So as an organization, having gone through ebbs and flows, we're highly affected by politics and political change because to date, so much of our business has been anchored into funding structures and where where's the money coming from that, you know, having to navigate a business through that, having to drive and inspire individuals to keep the faith and to keep moving and not to be worried about their jobs, that is 100% the thing that keeps me up the most, um, most at night. And, you know, I'm, I remain optimistic and hopeful always. That's my nature, um, that we're moving into even more of a market-based system in the future that will hopefully take away some of those pain points that I think that we've seen, you know, as a business in the past. What does that market-based system look like? What does that mean? Oh, that, you know, I think, I feel like you could ask 100 people that question and you're going to get 100 different answers. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even think I could sit here and I don't, I feel like I don't even want to guess on what that mm-hmm. system looks like. I, I kind of highlighted that I, th- I think and believe that we're moving to a market where, you know, as a homeowner, as a business owner, uh, you know, at some point in the future, I feel like uh, I may be able to make more of a choice on how my building or my home is powered, um, how the products in my building and home connect and have more choice about how I pay, who I pay and what I pay versus a system right now um, that's driven very much by you know, a few, a few entities and a a very historical relationship of who gets a bill and how much you pay. And I, I think that whole system is changing. It is just so hard to speculate how quickly that's going to come. Um, you know, what the desire of, of us as people are to do that. We, I, I feel like as, as humans, we, we take the path of least resistance so often. Nobody wants, everybody wants, is looking for ways to make their life easier, right? right? <laughs> so, so in the context of how do we make our life easier, I realized, you know, as I, as I hear myself talk, you know, about making choice, that may not make our lives easier. Mm-hmm. But in so many other parts of our day-to-day, we're looking for more and more control. And I just think it has to happen with our energy systems. And, um, and because they're so complex and complicated as a system, we're not there yet. And it's, it's taking a long time, but I, I fundamentally believe we'll get there. Mm-hmm. And is that what distributed energy resources is all about, is having different sources of energy, whether it's renewables or storage at different locations? Is that generally what that term means? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't... Don't take my comments as an appropriate definition for distributed energy resources. But I I do feel when I think about the concept, I think about a web and a network of technologies and products that are interconnected. um, And and they're connected from both 
uh, a generation and a, and a demand perspective and a, and a usage perspective. So there are energy resources, which I think could be activated, if you will, with the right systems and processes in place. We have basically, you know, if you think about it, embedded energy in so many products from lighting to heating and cooling to, you know, solar panels and batteries and computers. And I mean, you, to, to me, I think about the network and the web of all these products that are using energy and thinking about them differently in terms of our ability to connect them, to turn them off when we need to reduce demand and to activate and turn things on when we need to increase generation and supply. And so when I think of distributed energy resources, it's just this vast network and web of products that exist around us that we can activate from an energy perspective that we haven't thought we haven't thought of before because we've typically operated in a world of you know defined generation supply and defined usage and they're, and they're very separated and transmitted on our system very differently. The space is going to be changing a lot, clearly. We're moving away from rebates on light bulbs, which we've done so much of, to something that you're talking about now that's much more complicated, a lot of new players. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the whole sector and the different actors come together, right? Anything particular that you're watching for from a player's stakeholders? Who to watch for? Who's, who's leading? The challenge is outside of our space, people don't think like this. Right. It's the thing that strikes me the most, right? If we, if we get outside our nine to five and, you know, the business we work in and the people we talk and surround ourselves with, where this is such an integral part of what we do, and then you go home to your kids and your husband and your family and, I, I don't know, no, nobody talks about this. Nobody's actually thinking about how they're using energy in their homes and businesses. They, they truly aren't. Like, you flip your switch, you remind your kids to turn the lights off or unplug their cell phones. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you actually sit on the couch at night and go, hmm, I wonder, you know, how things would change if everything was connected. We, we don't think like that. And I think that's the biggest challenge, even in trying to figure out who the new stakeholders and players are going to be. And I, I, to me, I think it's going to be surprising. You know, I don't think it's unreasonable to think of Google and telcos and uh, you know, electronics companies, Samsung and, and others who are who are gonna probably again looking at this space like crazy and thinking about where they're gonna have market share, and typical energy efficiency program implementers or local utilities or system operators. You know, we don't normally engage with them in our in our day to day, and I don't think that there's a lot of overlap in the types of players that can emerge and evolve from a, from a technology space. And, and part of it is because I don't think anybody's figured out how to talk about this in a way that really brings it to life in a, in a day-to-day -day conversation with people. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's almost the holy grail, Megan. It's like, who's going to figure out how to bring this into the social consciousness so that we, we can talk about it in a way that's actually interesting to people and they don't turn off and go, oh, energy, energy efficiency. What do you, what do, you do again? I get yeah. that. Yeah. Well, what's your business? My business is energy efficiency. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you talk for a little bit and people, you could just see them turning right. off like, okay, that's not what I was expecting. So right. yeah, give, me we, an, give me an easy answer. Yeah. How do we make it relevant <laughs> and easy to your point earlier? Yeah. Totally. Holy grail, chasing that. Totally.
interesting. Changing gears a little bit. Curious, did you always want to be president and CEO of a company? Yes, I think I totally did. <laughs> Love that answer. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah, I'm, I, I always thought I would be doing my own thing, yeah. running my own business, yeah. for sure. For sure, that's in my ethos as far back as I can remember. What was your path like from that ethos to, to Summer Hill? I mean, I think I, I grew up in an environment where I was, I was always challenged to think about running my own business. It started early days. Like, that was put in my mind at an, at an early age. So, you know, I, th- I think when you, when you talk about career paths and stories, they all, they all take different twists and turns. And there's a certain amount of timing and luck that I think people should acknowledge in, in where we get where we are. But but certainly that desire to um, to make decisions and to to be independent was always was always a was always part of the path and and part of the journey. My family might say that it's bossiness, <laughs> or um, my my sister lovingly nicknamed me the dictator early on as a child. So. <laughs> take different paths, but I feel like it was always there in my destiny. (laughs) Well, when I think of you, (laughs) when I think of you, Arcelia, what comes to mind to me is a totally kick-ass, strong, independent female leader who's absolutely comfortable with risk and standing up for what you believe in and uh, isn't afraid of too much. So... my God, you're... way too kind. It's very generous. Well, I see it for sure. And do you, do you, well, do you, do you see yourself as, as having a lot of courage? How do you tap into it? Um, and do you think it's important for leading a company? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a, I have very strong convictions. Um, and whether that's a personality trait or something learned, I have no idea, but I, but I would say when I think about what you just said, I feel like in all parts of my life, the ability for me to make a decision and stand by it and then go lead with conviction is just something that I've always done. It's just, I, it's part of my fundamental belief system. Um, make a decision and go for it. And, and for me, it's, it's anchored also in making the right decision, like having a really strong conviction, conviction to do the right thing. And um, to always choose that path of doing what's right for for everyone in, in whatever that decision context is is I don't know it's just such a part of who I am and I I see myself trying to pass that on to my kids as well so it's an, it's an interesting time of question my girls are you know eleven and twelve um, and thinking about you know lessons that you want to you want to pass on from a from a leadership perspective. It's that always like don't don't be a don't be a bystander, right? Don't be a bystander in, in life. Yeah. Um, be able to stand up for something you believe in and be able to call things out and, and I feel like that's translated in certainly in all aspects of my life. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's a tough thing to do though. Yeah. I, I like find it yeah, knowing trusting trusting your voice and trusting yes. your conviction is yeah. is a path. It's yeah. For many of us, I think. And I think f- for me, I've, I've, I've had to learn 
that it comes, I feel like it comes easy for me. I, I really do. And I, I've had to learn, you know, with, with friends and family and colleagues around that it, it doesn't always come easy to make that decision and stick to it. And there have been often times where I've had to reflect like, okay, it's easy for me, but let me, let me put myself into somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to do that a lot as well. Like oh, put yourself in somebody else's is, is shoes. Yeah. yeah. It's a gift in, in some ways, I think. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Has its downsides too. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the downsides? Well, I think you, you need to remind yourself, particularly if you picked a chosen path and you're going down with conviction, that it if you're wrong, you know, that's the downside yeah. is you, you also need to develop the ability to go, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. Like that wasn't the wrong, dis- that wasn't the right decision. That was the wrong decision. And to have that, to admit that to yourself and to others is definitely a, a learned skill as well, is to be able to be honest and um, and pull back and kind of go, okay, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to show you that I, it was it was the wrong it was the wrong thing to do, and I'm going to own it, and we're going to move on from here. So that's kind of the downside, and you really need to counter counter that. Yeah, yeah. and that takes courage too. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Back to the courage piece. What advice do you have for? women in particular in middle and senior management positions who may have their eyes on executive roles, C-suite roles um, in the sector. What do you see as the most important skills to develop? What are the opportunities that women should be seeking out? Oh, there's so many layers to that question. Um, And I, you know, I might start with the observation that women need to find a really strong voice early on. I think, and this is purely from my experience only, Megan, like I take it for what it's worth. I am by no means making a broad statement. That's applicable to everybody, anybody listening. But I think in my experience, women are less likely to put that stake in the ground early on in their careers and actually vocalize their desire to be a leader, uh, truly, to be able to say to their peers and to their managers and to others, you know what? I want this. I, I believe in myself and have the confidence that I can lead, so show me the path to get there. And that's a gap. That, that, the gap is you know, encouraging women to have the confidence and then vocalize it and not be worried about what everybody thinks of them. Uh, that, And I see that more often in men than women, to be completely honest with you. The ability to put up your hand. If somebody says, if I, if you know, if I said to a, a group of individuals, who wants my job? I, we could do a test. Well, I should do the test at the next staff meeting. Who wants my job? And just to see who puts up their hand. Right, and I so I think that even that early stage, putting up your hand, um, is something that we should be encouraging girls and women to do more often, to to vocalize their desire to go after, you know, what they're what they're looking for. That that to me is is the starting point for sure. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? Is it structural? Mm. Is it cultural? Is it a f- what is that? I about? don't know. I mean, I don't know. Right. I really don't know what the, wh- right. where where that. And I do not want to like buy into gender stereotypes. 
vibes at all. I mean, my, my observation is a simple one. It's, um, you know, I think if we talked to, uh, women that have successfully transitioned into leadership roles, the question often becomes, how did, how did you get there? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was really fortunate in our space to have a visionary leader like our founder, Ian, who really tapped me on the shoulder early on in my career. Um, that was part of giving me the confidence to believe that I could put up my hand and say, you know, I want your job. Uh, and, and I think that we need to collectively, women or men, do a better job also of tapping people on the shoulder early on to give them the confidence. Cause sometimes it goes both ways, right? There's certainly individuals who have that innately and we can encourage it in our, in our daughters as the, as they're growing up, but it's also the power of the people around us who have, we have to remind ourselves that we should, we should be actively seeking out, you know, those individuals that have the potential and giving them the confidence that they can, they can say that and that it's okay. And I, I think that's something that, that we, we need to do more. And I think it's probably applicable to all sorts of industries is to think about the mentors um, and the individuals that, that help reinforce that confidence in your, you know, your decision-making skills and in your ability to, to seek higher opportunities out. Absolutely. How, and kind of leading on that, is how do you manage it all? How, I'm, I'm curious, I'm wondering about if, you know, it's important to hear stories, I think, of women like yourself who are able to have children work full time, be a CEO, travel around the country. Like, what are your, how do you manage it? Because I think even understanding mm -hmm. some of those um, processes for you and structural things around how you manage your life <laughs> sure. And being able to see how to put that into play might be helpful. That's that's a really fair point. You know, I I, I get asked that quite a bit, um, and I and I see that it can be perceived as a barrier for uh, a lot of women in particular to think about that decision point of starting a family uh, and wondering if you can do both. Right? It's mm -hmm. it's hugely challenging. I, I maybe have a bit of a unique perspective on it. Um, I don't have a clear separation between work and family. And I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I, I think as a society and as a culture, we, you know, we tend to think in terms of nine to five and my, you know, my job starts when I show up in the office and then my job ends at a certain time and then it's my family time and uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Actually, I don't agree with that, you know, and, and part of the reason I, I feel like I've achieved a certain sense of balance is that I'm not stressed about worrying when one starts and the other stops. And I think it's just an important orientation for us all to, if we're, if we're anchored in doing something day to day that's satisfying and that we get meaning out of, then why do we have to stress about when it starts and stops? I guess that's how I would approach it. And so for me, it was never a question of perceiving of, okay, I'm going to start a family, so I have to stop this so that I can do that. It was just like, well, I'm going to take that on, and I'm going to integrate it into my life. 
yeah. So for me, it starts with your, your mental perspective because that generates an enormous amount of stress and pressure for women in particular to put, put them into these roles of stay at home, mom, working Mm -hmm. mom. It was just like, I'm going to run a business and I'm going to have kids and a family and I'm going to just make it happen. (laughs) Did you have role models for that or? Uh, That's a tough question. I mean, the, really the only role model I would have for, for being a successful working parent is my mom. And yes, my, my mom, totally. My mom had four kids, which is completely inconceivable to me. And she stayed at home for a few years when we were small, but then went back to work. And, you know, and it's, it's interesting. My mom's a teacher. Teachers are amazing examples and role models for us. Her job certainly didn't start and stop. Right. You know, she got us out the door, went to work, came home, you know, made sure we were fed at, at activities. And then she's on the couch marking for yep. three hours. It wasn't like, you know, she was going, my job stops when I, when I leave the office. It, it, I saw her in a role that was 24 hours a day. Yep. How do our, how are our 24 hours split up? So that would, that would absolutely be an example of what I saw. I didn't see, I didn't see a stress in my own mom of, you know, it was, this is, this is what we do. This is, this is our, we have one life and it's all of these pieces and it's really up to us to figure out. And I think it ebbs and flows too. And I think, I think people really need to realize that, you know, there's a time where the concentration in one side might be greater than another, but let's not feel guilty about it. It will ebb and flow. I might have three weeks, super intense, traveling around, feeling like I'm not seeing a lot of my family, but then the next two weeks, I may be consciously scheduling my time so that I'm there to pick them up from school or activities or what, or whatever it is. And I think we need to take that control back a little bit. If we view it yep. as one life and we have some control over how we can bucket our time, then I think you can make it work. I think that's yeah. a really unique and valuable perspective. And thank you for diving into that for us. One of the things I find so interesting and unique about Summerhill is how many women you are surrounded by at the executive and senior management level at our company, currently and mm-hmm. historically, as you mentioned earlier. Very exciting. <laughs> um, Powerful, strong women. What do you think it is about Summerhill that has attracted so much female talent and leadership over the years? Oh. I might throw that question back at you, Megan. Why do you think that you are one of the talented female leaders at Summerhill? Honestly, I mean, uh, I can kick it off by saying that, I mean, it would be easy to say that there's a certain amount of general understanding that comes with having women leaders, right? We know what what it takes. You know, we, we can have that flexibility we don't have rigid mentality in terms of, again, one way of, of doing things and leaning things. But I think that's a, that's, that's a view of the collective. I wouldn't, I would not say, Oh, you know, I, I put this in place. I mean, we have tremendous respect There's So it starts, it's anchored in respect for each other and, you know, empathy in individual circumstances and the understanding that if you value good work and the way to get it done, let's, let's figure out how to do that. And I don't know if that's how, how you feel, but that's certainly an approach that I feel like we've tried to, to nurture 
uh, in this organization. I absolutely agree. And and for me originally, when I was looking for organizations to work for, I remember I remember looking at the website and seeing mm. so many women and young women and 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 literally just feeling an attraction like, huh, this is an organization that um, that I can I can see myself being part of in a community and um, uh, a group of of leaders who are inspiring and and um, that I would that I, I was included. So yeah, it's and it continues to be that way and um, and I th and I think about other organizations where maybe that doesn't look like that and. Um, and what that does for recruitment and what that does when women are coming into the workforce and what do they see on the websites of mm -hmm. companies when they are looking at, all right, who's the executive team here and who's making decisions and who am I going to be looking up to? So I think it's interesting. Yeah, it, it really kind of begs the question for us if, you know, women attract women, right? Yeah. It, that's yeah. a, it's an interesting perspective, um, and I, th I think in organizations where you know, that doesn't exist, there have, they have to take that approach of purposefully yeah. kind of dri driving that, right? You know, absolutely. I see it now at, at higher governance level from a, from a board perspective, you know, that's become a, an issue that I've become definitely aware of over the last few years in, in particular, and I had the opportunity to serve on the board of the ISO, the Independent Electricity Systems Operator. And it was a huge point of pride for me that the board was comprised of a lot of women. I, I, I think it was actually more women than men. I, I have to go back and count, but I, you know, out of 10 board members, it was definitely five or six, like we were, and it, it, again, it's a point of pride from from the very tops of organizations to be able to have that lens and that view and that dialogue, male and female dialogue, mm -hmm. um, at the highest levels that then trickles down in organizations um, as well. And I think it's hard to break certain patterns and maybe look at blind spots when you don't have that diversity of voice at the table. And I would include a broad diversity of voice yep. because that that's also really important as well, rather yep. than get stuck in kind of gender, gender. Yep. stereotypes. We need to have organizations that reflect the sector that we're in yeah. and the full diversity of the range of, of roles and individuals that we, we impact. Yeah, I've been doing some research as I've been diving into this topic recently and Ernst & Young and Catalyst both have published things this year that are talking about the lack of diversity and specifically the lack of women um, in the C-suite and on boards, as, as you mentioned, great to, great to hear your experience um, was what it was like because it sounds like for utilities and energy companies, energy companies across North America, um, it's, there's still a lot of uh, a pretty big gap there in terms of gender and diversity. And they're noting that this risk, um, this is a risk that's gonna pose these organizations uh, with an ability to adapt and innovate and move. They're really making the link and, and, and through their research, showing that when you don't have diverse views on a board, those are some of the things that are gonna be um, potentially gapping, is ability to adapt and innovate and move with the times and 
sounds like we got some times <laughs> ahead of us and mm-hmm. we're really going to need to be um, thinking outside of the box. So thinking about how you get those people and attracting them to those roles. Absolutely. And, and, and I think holding decision makers accountable um, at all levels of an organization, you know, it starts with what's that profile at the top. So who's sitting around the boardroom table saying, oh, you're recruiting for a new VP. Mm-hmm. Who are the candidates that are coming through? Or asking the question of why can't we attract a different diverse group of, of candidates? You know, it starts there, right? Somebody's even even just asking the question before yeah. somebody's hired to kind of go, okay. Are you are you thinking about this? Is this a metric? Are you are you actively looking, or are you asking yourself if you're not getting those candidates, why? Yeah. Right. The unconscious bias. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Cool. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about. I'm just curious about your uh, your experience with Young Presidents Organization. So, mm. you are an active member and past chair of the Toronto chapter. Yes. of the Young Presidents Organization. Could you tell us a little bit about YPO and what it is and how you got involved? Oh, absolutely. I, I love YPO. <laughs> I've gotten so much out of it, uh, personally and professionally. And I think that's that's where I'll start. Um, one, of, one of the biggest learnings I've received out of my time spent in YPO um, has driven that thought that we talked about er- just earlier around, you know, one life, personal, professional, how important it is. When I first joined YPO, I thought I was joining from a, from a leadership and business perspective. Um, and I certainly was attracted as a young female CEO to find peers to figure out how do I run a business better and, and how do I face this decision? And YPO early on, and I said, okay, that's nice, <laughs> but we want to know about you as a person. Like, talk to us about your relationship with your husband and, you know, you have babies and, and are, are you spending enough time on yourself? You know, are you taking the time to take care of yourself? And I was like, what? Like, you're, you're, this is important? You're asking this? And that's been the really interesting learning and value of YPO has been to place that importance, even on self-care and how all of the relationships and decisions in my life affect my ability to be a better leader. And I, I mean, that to me is the, is the essence of building lifelong leaders is recognizing that it's, you, you need to take care of every part of your life to be a leader. That's, that's the beauty of, of YPO. And as a result, I mean, not, not unlike any other area of my life, I throw myself into governance whenever the opportunity presents itself. So I, you know, had an opportunity early on to join the board of that organization and to, and to give back in a way that I feel like I've, I've received from, from them and made lifelong friends in the process. So it's really been a remarkable experience. Right. And it's, and it's a worldwide organization. It's, it's worldwide, you know, uh, depending on your, ability and time, I, I could literally drop in and meet YPO members in any city that I visit, even on vacation. I could, you know, reach out and somebody would respond and, mm-hmm. you know, meet for a coffee. So it's a, it's a tremendous network that's all connected under this YPO umbrella that, that we really have access to. And I don't, I 
don't leverage it enough. Absolutely. It's, it's a, a timing issue, but it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable okay. to be able to bet. I, I have made sure that I've gone to international, um, events and conferences, leadership conferences, just to have the ability to, you know, on the one anchor yourself in the similarities between, uh, leading where, wherever you are in the world and whatever sector you're in, and also appreciate cultural differences and other unique aspects. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's also a really unique part of the organization to be able to do that. Super cool. Yeah. Couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, this is fun, by the way. <laughs> we to the end. I'm glad. It's, it's gone way easier than I expected. Yeah. I was really stressed to, you know, to put these headphones on and to speak it to a mic. But Megan, you're making you're it easy. You're making it easy fun. for That's me to I speak wanted. to you. It's so great. <laughs> so good. Um, I one question is: I read Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming. Yes earlier this year, and I know you saw her speak uh, when she came to Toronto, and I'm sure she was totally impressive. I was curious, what were some of the things that stuck uh, stuck with you after you saw her? So interesting, and it, I, I would say it's not even when I saw her. Reading that book, I, it was a very powerful book. I have so much admiration for her. And you know, it starts, I mean, in her complete transparency and honesty of, um, her upbringing, her growing up, her, her, her journey as a woman to, to get to where she was in her law firm bef- before she even got to the white house. Um, there were a lot of emotional moments for me reading the book and her telling her story in her voice that, that I took away. And part of it is, an appreciation for her as someone with genuine sincerity um, and also coming from that belief of always always trying to do good for for others and and make those decisions and and I, I just had so much respect for that uh, and you know then then seeing her speak and just feeling her authenticity she yeah. just she comes across as exceptionally authentic. And, uh, and again, I feel like she reinforces those things that are so important to me around, um, around being honest and transparent and, um, taking the good with the bad and, and making, making decisions, making, just making good, good decisions. I feel like she's, she's an individual that really embodies that. Yep. And that's what was so powerful yeah. and emotional. It's funny. I, you know, I, f- I felt myself crying on more than one occasion reading the book and I'd stop and I'd go, why am I crying? Like she's talking about her brother. Or yeah. <laughs> it's not an obvious thing, but I, the only thing I can attribute it to is just that sense of truth, truth. and authenticness. And I yeah. was like, it's just, it's a really powerful yeah. to have somebody speak yeah. in that way. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It, but it resonates so much yes. that you have an emotional reaction. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Anyone else inspire you? Any, mm. who inspires you these days? Oh my God. I don't like that question. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> uh, who inspires me these days? I mean, the uh, truly, and it wasn't that long ago that I had the opportunity to see Michelle Obama speak. She's definitely high on the list. That's cool. that's just so, yeah. so recent. Um, it's not a question I think about a lot. Mm. I, 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 
if I'm if I'm being completely honest, like I feel like I power through life sometimes, not even yeah. <laughs> thinking and stopping to think about everybody yeah. uh, around me. You know, I just I I take it in and I yeah spit it out, and maybe I should do a little bit more reflection or you know to think about it in a positive way. I I think a lot of people I I take a lot from a lot of people around me, Megan, day to day in the office, you know, in my life, it's, it would, it's really hard for me to call out one person and say, that Mm -hmm. person inspires me because Mm -hmm. it changes on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Somebody might inspire me on a day-to-day basis. It's taking the time to kind of reflect on it. That's, that's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to share or say, or, um, add to today's conversation? Thank you for doing this. I want to thank you. I mean, it's it's so impressive that that you're following a passion of yours and and creating a you know an environment, a great environment, um, for women to speak about their experiences in the sector and beyond. So I'm really appreciative that that you've tackled this as a project and a passion, and I had an opportunity to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and and for being a strong role model for me, Ursula, and for your absolute support with this podcast project. I am very grateful. So thank you. Super fun. Yay. Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm having so much fun bringing this to you, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Let me know what you think. Share it, rate it, leave a review, reach out. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call outs to Ursilia Serafini and Summerhill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast.